My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. For the past 13 years, Toronto has been run by conservatives. First, by a loud and proud one, infamous Mayor Rob Ford. Then, by a quieter and more boring one in John Tory, who tacked more towards the center, but in the end, left office in scandal, just like his predecessor, creating a by-election, which takes place Monday. And if the polls are to be believed, Toronto's next mayor will be absolutely nothing like the men who came before her. If you're mad, frustrated, angry, I get it. I'm angry too. Olivia Chow has as many progressive left-wing bona fides as any career politician and activist. She was an NDP MP, married, of course, to former NDP leader Jack Layton, and has a long history of sitting as a leftist city councillor and fighting for progressive causes. She is running on a platform of spending to make the city better, which will require, yes, raising taxes. And she won't say exactly how much she'd raise them by, which, as you might imagine, does not go over well with her opponents and their supporters. But somehow, she is poised to win in a landslide, again, if you believe the polls. So what's changed in Toronto and with Olivia Chow since she ran for this job in 2014 and finished a dismal third? Is this race all but over? Or could this weekend or election day see a surge for one of the many candidates chasing her? What happens if it is over and Canada's largest city takes a hard left turn? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Ben Spur is a reporter with the Toronto Star's City Hall Bureau who has been covering this mayoral election. Hello, Ben. Hi, Jordan. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome. When we first covered the first and only episode we did about this race was before the filing deadline when we weren't sure how many candidates would actually run for mayor. And the feeling then was that the race was wide open. How has that turned out? Uh, it's looking a little less wide open now. Uh, for the past several weeks, uh, all the polls have been telling a, a similar story that uh, Olivia Chow, the former uh, NDP MP, um, has a pretty healthy uh, lead. And it's it hasn't really wavered much. There's been some movement in who's second, third, and fourth place. But uh, she's been out in front since she basically entered the race and uh, hasn't dipped. Uh, and so with a couple of days to go, she uh, is, is out ahead and it looks like it's her election to lose. Was that popularity expected when she joined the race? I recall a lot of people who uh, probably now support her because they're very progressive, not wanting her to get into this race. Yeah, I think she ran in 2014 and had what is 
widely considered a, a pretty disastrous campaign. She she started out as the front runner and then faded really badly over the course of the campaign and, and came in a, a disappointing third to Doug Ford and uh, the, the winner, John Tory. So I think when she entered, uh, there were fears among Toronto's progressive-leaning voters that, that she might have a similar trajectory. And I think there was also just some consternation that there wasn't another candidate who could take up that progressive standard, right? It's been, uh, you know, nine years since she last ran. A lot has happened at City Hall since then. Mm-hmm. And there have been some pretty well-known and broadly popular um, left-leaning uh, councillors at City Hall, the likes of Joe Cressy and, uh, and Mike Layton, who I think many people did expect to, to get into the race, uh, who were kind of uh, mayor candidates in, in waiting over the last couple of years, but uh, they both opted to, to not enter the race. And so it, it kind of left a dearth of, of young, you know, political talent, so to speak. So I think mm-hmm. there was some maybe disappointment that the kind of old guard of Olivia Chow was coming into the race uh, to take up that progressive banner. And uh, for people who wanted a left-wing mayor elected, there was some fears that, you know, her campaign would turn out uh, like her 2014 uh, one did. Well, it obviously hasn't, and the city votes on Monday. Um, You mentioned it's her race to lose, and, you know, there's two, three, four sort of well behind. Maybe just give us the top four, if you can, and the rough poll numbers. I know that there are a million polls out there, and they kind of each seem to fluctuate a little bit. Yeah. Um, so behind her, her th- there's been some conflicting poll results, but the, the aggregate of the polls shows uh, that at the moment, at least, Mark Saunders, the former police chief uh, of Toronto, is uh, around second place with about 15% of, of the support of decided voters compared to Chow, who's uh, at above 30%. Below Saunders is uh, Anna Bailau, a former city councillor and one of uh, John Tory's deputy mayors. Below her is uh, Josh Matlow, who is a current city councillor, who is also a, a progressive, running a progressive campaign, but is uh, kind of an independent progressive, uh, as opposed to Olivia Chow, who has the advantage of being able to plug into this kind of uh, NDP apparatus in Toronto to, right. to help her campaign. Do we know what's different about her campaign this time? Uh, as you say, the 2014 campaign, I mean, I, I remember that race. It was pretty disastrous. She faded very quickly. Uh, what's different? What's her message being to voters this time? Well, what's different this time, you know, she was asked about right right from the bat, right, when she got in the race about, you know, what she would do differently. She said that she, in 2014, was self-conscious about herself, particularly her English skills. English isn't her, her first language. And so mm-hmm. she said that she ran that campaign by relying on, on notes and written speeches and didn't really speak off the cuff. And so she said that this time around, she was going to be more authentic, I guess, and just kind of talk directly to voters. And that's one thing she's done. But I think other ways ways you can see that she, perhaps she's learned from from 2014 is that one thing is she entered the race late um, she entered it uh, in mid-April after uh, most of the other leading candidates were already in so if you're worried about your campaign fading uh, over time as, as her one in 2014 did getting into the race late maybe inoculates you a bit from that maybe it gives you less time for uh, to get attacked by opponents and uh, less time for your support to kind of dwindle and she also in 2014 uh, she took a lot of flack from from the the left in Toronto for out of the gate uh, promising to not raise taxes above the rate of inflation, which Hmm. is kind of a conservative or centrist tactic that uh, Mayor John Tory and of course before him, Rob Ford ran on successfully. But um, that just seemed to kind of hamstring her campaign or sort of 
kind of undermined her progressive credentials, I guess, because she couldn't really talk a lot about investing heavily in city services when she was also saying that, you know, tax revenue is basically not going to increase. So I think uh, this time around, she has not said she won't uh, raise tax rates above the rate of inflation. She's she's not actually specified what her tax increase would be. And she's taken a lot of heat from her opponents on that. But that has given her some wiggle room to kind of paint herself not just as another middle of the road candidate, but as someone who who might you know raise city revenue to to improve uh, services, which a lot of people are unsatisfied with in Toronto right now. I was going to ask this later, but since you just touched on it, I'll ask it now. One of the biggest criticisms I've seen uh, of Olivia Chow is that she hasn't provided much in the way of specifics at all. What do we know about what her vision for Toronto is? What what actual policies she would plan to enact uh, were she to win this thing? She wants the city to get more directly involved in uh, housing construction. Um, the, the approach uh, of the previous administrations has largely been to kind of make it easier for the private sector to, to build housing. She says she wants the city to get uh, directly involved again in uh, building affordable housing for people. She says she would raise property taxes by a modest amount, but also would uh, increase the tax on vacant properties, would introduce a new uh, higher tax rate on the transfer of uh, mansions, uh, basically a mansion tax, she said, like the sales of homes uh, over $2 million, she would uh, increase the tax on that. She also wants to reverse TTC service cuts, which uh, have uh, come into effect recently and upset a lot of uh, transit users. So those are some of the broad strokes of her policy, but you're certainly correct that some of her opponents, uh, notably Josh Mallow and Mitzi Hunter, the former uh, Scarborough MPP for the Liberal Party, have um, released really detailed platforms, uh, you know, really crunched the numbers uh, on their plans. Uh, Mitzi Hunter has been fond of waving her booklet of her, her platform around at debates. Hmm. And uh, Olivia Chow has not provided at that level of specificity, uh, to be sure. What about on the right? One of the things that has surprised me about this race is that support on that side has not really consolidated around any one person. Um, why is that? What are the options there and, and how have their campaigns gone? Kind of headed into the race, the, the strongest conservative uh, candidate appeared to be Mark Saunders, who is the former police chief. Uh, he was here from 2015 to 2020, uh, and he ran for the Ontario PC uh, party last year. Uh, he's a conservative with with ties to, to Doug Ford. A lot of uh, Saunders' campaign team uh, has links to, to Ford and his party. And so he seemed like the, the person who was going to provide the counterbalance, I guess, to, to Olivia Chow and be the, the strong conservative candidate. His campaign hasn't really taken off. And, and in recent weeks, it's really been, I think, undermined by the uh, rise in the polls of, of a candidate who I don't think many people thought was going to have much of an impact at all on this race, uh, who's Anthony Fury, uh, a former Toronto Sun columnist who uh, is uh, on leave from his job as uh, an executive at a, at a right-wing media site. And he's uh, come in and I think released a lot of uh, kind of eye-catching proposals and controversial ones as well. But hmm. he sort of seems to be the kind of, um, you know, unadulterated conservative in a way that, that Saunders is not. You know, Saunders, I think, uh, is... You know, he says that he's he's not an insider, but he's been around politics for a little while at this point and kind of talks like a politician. Right. Uh, Anthony Fury's, I think, a bit more 
direct in his approach and, and kind of blunt to talking about things like clearing uh, homeless encampments from parks and, and kind of raising the fears, I think it's fair to say, over, you know, safe induction sites and, and uh, harm reduction drug policies and that kind of thing. And I think that his, his message is resonating in, in a way that Saunders hasn't. I think he's just sort of reads as a more authentic conservative to a lot of voters. And so he's kind of shot up the polls, not, not to a huge degree. He's maybe around 10%. But I think he's eating into to Saunders' uh, support and making it really difficult for the former police chief to uh, catch up with Olivia Chow. What about in the middle of the political spectrum? I mean, this is uh, the territory John Tory was frankly famous for, right? Um, and certainly based on, uh, I guess, outside impressions of Toronto as a kind of milk toast political city, mm-hmm. seems like a lane that somebody should be occupying well. Yeah. And so the, the kind of, uh, the person to occupy that lane and to some extent, I think, uh, Tory's heir apparent has been Anna Bailao, uh, who was one of, one of Tory's deputy mayors and, and is, uh, political liberal and very much kind of wants to pitch herself as a middle of the road kind of moderate person who can get along with, uh, uh different levels of government and with business and labor and, and get things done very much in the mold of, of John Tory. You also have, uh, Mitzi Hunter, who until uh, a couple of weeks ago was a liberal MPP. And so you would maybe paint her as a kind of centrist, but she's actually ran a pretty um, progressive campaign that, that's quite similar to um, Chow's and Matlow's in some ways. And then there's also uh, Brad Bradford, who on council has been more of a centrist. His campaign is, uh, is a bit more right wing than his council record. So there's sort of three candidates in there that are all kind of fighting out for the, for the middle. Um, and none of them have uh, really been able to, to rise above the rest of the pack. Before we move on to um, election night and the days after, if indeed uh, Chow holds on to her lead, is there any sense that something could still shift? Is this a situation where either Fury or Saunders, who, you know, collectively uh, might have close to the numbers that Chow does or, you know, candidates in, in the center, could unite and tell their supporters to vote strategically and uh, make a dent in Olivia? Is everybody just still out for themselves? Yeah, I think if we were going to see that the kind of rallying around a single candidate to, to block Chow, it would have happened a while ago at this point with, uh, you know, about four days till election day. It, that's leaving it very late um, yeah. and, and it likely wouldn't have a, a, an impact. I think it's just not enough time to get a message out to voters to shift their support to, to somewhere else. And I think that's at the best of times, it's a questionable strategy. I'm not sure how effective that is. But I, I actually reported on this um, last weekend um, and did kind of try to get behind the scenes a bit as to conversations uh, about that. There there have been actually conversations between the campaigns uh, about potentially dropping out to try to block Chow. Um, but uh, because uh, all the kind of trailing candidates are all sort of tangled up uh, with, you know, somewhere between, you know, 8 14% of support, it's really hard for any of them to make the strong case that they're the one who uh, can can go and beat Chow. Yeah. Um, Fury has... has shown no interest at all, for instance, in dropping out and throwing his support behind Saunders. Fury says that he's the one who has momentum. He's been rising in the polls, whereas Saunders is flat. So he says that if anyone should drop out, basically it should be Saunders dropping out to support him. So there's just no kind of clear um, anyone but Chow candidate. Um, So even though those conversations, I think, did kind of happen informally and people did test the waters, just it doesn't look like uh, it's going to happen. And certainly, I think, not at this uh, late date. 
My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. What about a surprise on election night itself? And I don't mean um, somebody magically running away with this thing, but I know from covering the last election that turnout uh, was at an all-time low. Like, it was it was abysmal. If that happens again, is there a chance something shifts? And what do we know so far about, about what turnout might likely be? This is, uh, I feel this is kind of a nerdy interest of mine, I guess, but like, I, I'm really interested about uh, what the turnout will be in this election, because yeah. I think there are a lot of different kind of conflicting factors that could push it either higher than, than last time's uh, abysmal turnout, as you say, or, or actually depress it lower. Uh, generally, by-elections are notoriously uh, low turnout, right? But the reason for that is usually that at the provincial and federal levels, a by-election has no chance of, of affecting the government, right? It's just one seat changing out of out of hundreds or dozens at least. Uh, but at, at this point, uh, whoever wins this by-election will actually control city government or be the head of it. So it's not quite clear whether that by-election effect will take place. Um, but there's also just issues like, uh, you know, there's no council races going on with the mayor's race this time, usually in a municipal election. You're also running simultaneous elections for, for local wards. So in one sense, that could kind of focus people's attention on the mayor's race uh, and maybe make them tune in a bit more because there's less names out there and the kind of less conflicting campaigns and that, that kind of thing. So you can see that boosting turnout. But at the same time, uh, in a normal municipal election, you have all those council candidates going door to door, trying to pull the vote on election day and get them to the polls where they also vote for mayor. So that's not happening this time. Right. But to your point about a low turnout, perhaps like affecting the race, I, I don't know that it would kind of throw up a surprise in terms of who wins, but I think the turnout will have an important effect potentially on the winner's ability to actually govern, right? If um, Olivia Chow, for instance, at the moment is pulling it at, at about 30%, that's lower than uh, the last couple of elections the, the, the mayor has won with. And if turnout's very low as well, then she would, uh, or whoever wins, could be elected with a, a pretty small percentage of eligible voters in Toronto. And that would make it difficult presumably for the mayor to go to other levels of government, for instance, and and push their agenda. Uh, the city has a huge funding issue right now. It needs help from the provincial and federal governments. And if uh, the mayor you know, doesn't have the backing of a wide swath of Toronto voters, it kind of makes their leverage with other levels of government uh, weaker, presumably. I know for people who casually follow uh, Ontario politics, one of the biggest issues of the past couple of years has been the relationship between uh, the city of Toronto and the province of Ontario, uh, led by Premier Doug Ford. Um, Ford came out pretty hard against Olivia Chow uh, just a day or so ago. What did he say about her? And what, if anything, has she said about potentially working with him uh, if she wins? Do they have any history? 
Yeah, so he, uh, Ford came out uh, just yesterday and, and said that uh, Chow being elected would be an absolute disaster for the city, saying that she would hike taxes, make life more unaffordable for residents, drive out businesses, uh, basically, you know, uh, cause the collapse of the, the local economy. Scorched earth. Yeah, pretty much. You know, one of the more notable moments of this campaign, actually, um, you, you have seen all the candidates uh, at various points, most of them at least, uh, take shots at the premier. But uh, at an editorial board meeting with uh, the star Olivia Chow was asked about this and I found her response really interesting that she said she was asked how she would work with the premier and uh, she said that you know what Doug Ford loves Toronto too he, he wants the city to succeed uh, he doesn't always express it in a way that I agree with but he, he wants Toronto to, to be a good and successful place to live and I thought that was really kind of conciliatory uh, in a way that some of the other candidates um, have not been about Doug Ford and of course Doug Ford has not uh, as of yesterday at least uh, been towards her and what is notable is that uh, as you know divided as uh, Ford and Chow might be politically, they do have a bit of a personal history. Rob Ford, the premier's brother, uh, sat next to, to Jack Layton, Olivia Chow's late husband, on council. And they were kind of an, an, an odd couple in a way. They, they mm-hmm. were friendly to each other. Um, uh, Layton was uh, really kind of helped out uh, Rob Ford when he was new on council, just kind of learned the ropes a little bit. And Rob Ford had a lot of uh, you know positive things to say about Jack Layton. And uh, of course, when Jack Layton died, uh, Rob Ford expressed his, his condolences to uh, to Olivia Chow. And when um, Rob Ford also died of cancer a couple of years ago, our understanding is Olivia Chow, you know, reached out to, to Doug Ford and his family and, and was, um, you know, to express her condolences. So there, there are kind of family ties there um, and, and a bit of a personal relationship that um, might help them work together d- despite how um, you know far apart they are on the political spectrum. In terms of working together, or I guess just in terms of the dynamic, no matter uh, who is elected, really, the province, uh, I believe, and you might need to sort of explain this to me, uh, recently granted strong mayor powers um, to whoever is the Toronto mayor. What does that mean for whomever takes office uh, after this election? And even in terms of their working relationship with the province, I know one of the uh, big items in this campaign has been the province's desire to change the green belt or move the science center or do those kind of things. Where do those powers come in uh, in that situation, or is that just strictly a like a council level only power? Yeah. So the strong mayor powers, which were introduced uh, last year, um, give the whoever's mayor of Toronto um, some pretty extraordinary abilities. Uh, the the most most controversial one is that uh, the mayor can pass certain measures through council with the support of just one third of council members, which a lot of critics say is undemocratic. He or she can also introduce the budget um, on their own, can can pass certain uh, budget measures. The mayor can veto a council and then council has the ability to overturn that veto with two thirds uh, support. So the, the mayor does have some authorities, whoever is elected on Monday. The, the caveat though, is the province when they introduced those powers kind of put in this safety valve uh, to some extent that a lot of people thought was odd and does not exist in other strong mayor systems in the United States, for instance, which is that the mayor can only use those authorities like um, passing a measure with one third support of council to advance 
an issue that is a, a provincial priority. Huh. So you couldn't see a mayor coming in and having a, an agenda completely opposed to the conservative provincial agenda and, and kind of ramming a bunch of things through council with less than one third support. So the, the, the mayor is, you know, a strong mayor in relation to council, but is on a short leash in relation to the provincial government. Uh, and when it comes to other issues like moving Ontario Place or the, or the Green Belt and that kind of thing, Whoever's mayor has has basically no ability to interfere in, in some of those issues. Hasn't stopped them from yelling about it, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and you've seen the candidates this election use, um, you know, uh, voter antipathy towards those plans to to kind of take a run at, at uh, Doug Ford and his government and hope of boosting their support. But whoever gets into office has limited abilities uh, to actually change the province's plans on those kind of things, um, as the, the, the phrase is... Uh, you know, banded around City Hall that the city is a creature of the province. It, it doesn't have the ability to overrule it on, on most uh, important issues. Just to make sure uh, I'm explaining the strong mayor powers right, this would mean that um, if, say, Mayor Chow was going to attempt to, uh, I don't know, build a build a ton of public housing, she could not do it with one third of council unless uh, Premier Ford approved, but she could still pass it the traditional way with a majority of council. Yes, yes, that's right. And and just to get into the weeds, I guess, where I think things will get really interesting is that the province has like officially designated building more housing as a priority right. that these rules apply to. But, um, you know, the province hasn't shown much support for the government actually getting directly involved in building a, a new affordable housing, for instance. So if Olivia Chow was elected mayor and tried to advance that and tried to apply the strong mayor powers to that, then uh, that would be, I think, interesting to see how the province would react. I think important to note, actually, that Olivia Chow, along with uh, other candidates like uh, Josh Matlow, um, Mitzi Hunter, has said that they won't use the strong mayor powers, even though they have them available to them. They believe that they're undemocratic and say that they would work with council to um, advance their agenda and not um, use these uh, uh, new authorities to, to ram their agenda through. Last question, kind of a two-parter. First, what will you be watching for between now and when the winner is decided on Monday night to get a sense of if this thing is really over? And second, um, if it is really over and Chow holds her lead, what will you be watching for first to see what she does or prioritizes? Yeah, I think what we're watching for between now and Election Day um, is whether or not there's anything that could you know, dramatically shift uh, voters' opinions at this point. Uh, there was a, a potential twist yesterday when when former Mayor John Tory came out and endorsed Anna Bailao. You know, her, her team is hoping that that pushes her over the top and, and enables her to catch up with Chow. Whether that uh, is likely remains, you know, we'll have to wait and see. And I think it's important that to note, of course, that even though Olivia Chow is, is out in front in the polls, it's not over until the voting is done and anything right. could happen. So, you know, we don't want to say that it's a, it's a complete lock for her. But um, yeah, I think that uh, once the election does take place, what I think I'll be watching for is, you know, this is a city government that has been, you know, uh, center right or, or, you know, further right uh, for the past 12, 13 years. So if there is a progressive mayor who's elected, I think it'll be really interesting to see how they shake up City Hall in terms of, uh, you know, there'll be a real shift in the in the power balance, I think. Uh, you know, a lot of the same councillors who supported uh, Rob Ford's mayoralty went on to kind of pivot to be uh, supporters of uh, John Tory's mayoralty and the kind of councillors left was was uh, relegated to the sidelines. I think you could see a, a big shift 
in that dynamic if uh, a more progressive mayor is elected. And then I think we're just waiting to see what the new mayor does to to address the really urgent problems facing the city, right? The the, the city government has a 1.5 billion operating uh, dollar operating deficit that uh, it needs to figure out how to fix like immediately to avoid serious cuts to transit uh, and, and other city services uh, and housing. Of course, is a, a hugely urgent issue where we have people you know moving out of Toronto because it's just too expensive to live here. And whoever is mayor, uh, pretty much on day one, has to get started on addressing. Uh, those uh, really pressing issues. Ben, thanks so much for this. And uh, I guess we'll see you on Monday. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Ben Spur reporting from City Hall for the Toronto Star. That was The Big Story. If you'd like more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can find us, as always, on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. I'm working on the Blue Sky invite. So if you got one, send it our way and we'll meet you there too. You can always email us. Don't need an invite for that. The address is hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. And you can call us and leave a voicemail, 416-935-5935. Joe Fish is the lead producer of The Big Story. Robin Simon also produces on the show this week. Ali Graham produced a couple of episodes. Ryan Clark handled our sound design. Samandara is our research assistant. And I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. Thanks for listening a great weekend we have something really special for you on sunday when we turn five so we'll talk then in 2007 tv network cbs dropped 40 kids in the middle of the new mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show these kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.